Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord. You're such an awesome God. And we're so blessed, Lord, that we can open up your word and we can hear from the throne of God. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, you'd minister to each person's heart. I pray, Lord, that you've just prepared the soil of our hearts tonight, Lord, that no matter what's going on, what difficulties there may be in life, we thank you, Lord, that you meet us there. And Father, I just pray, Lord, again, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, by way of announcements, our announcement guy's on vacation, and then our worship leader was got pneumonia, so pray for Hav. Um, just if you look on the front here, we continue to have our Friday night fellowships every other Friday night. We'll give you some details on that. Um, Friday morning men's accountability group, and then Tuesday night women's Bible study. If you have any interest in that, you can talk to myself after church, okay? We'll make sure that you know where that is. Um, and then also be praying. I forgot to mention it last week. On September the 9th, the Vets Hall is going to be meeting and we'll be finding out whether or not we're going to be getting the, the hall here on Sunday mornings. And uh, just be in prayer about that. We want God's will to be done. And you know what? If it's not here, it's going to be somewhere else. Amen? And God's in, God's in the throne, so we just want wisdom and direction from Him. But let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8. And by the way of review, let me just catch you up. Mark wrote, the, or Mark chapter 8, I'm sorry. Mark wrote this gospel mainly to the Gentiles or to the Romans where Matthew was a gospel written to the Jews, and Matthew in his gospel gives a lot of Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. He quotes the Old Testament a lot. He talks a lot about Jewish tradition. The the gospel of Mark is very quick moving. His favorite word in the whole gospel is immediately. He says it over 40 times. And as we look at the gospel of Mark, it's very much, he doesn't give a lot of discourse, but he just tells us the events and how they happen over and over and over. And last week we looked at Mark and we saw two contrasting approaches to Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 7. We saw the Pharisees who came with a holier-than-thou, self-righteous attitude, who came to Jesus Christ with the attitude of not looking to, to, be, to learn of Him, not coming to Him to fall at His feet and to seek His face or to seek His will, but coming with accusation. When they came to Jesus Christ, they were looking for a way that they could accuse Him of something so they could continue on their own self-righteous path without being convicted by the words of Christ. We see that Jesus' response to them as they, they looked at the disciples, and you know the story from a couple weeks ago, where they, they, were, they were eating the food and they were saying, you know, you're not upholding the traditions of the rabbis. You're not, washing, you're not taking the egg, one and a half eggshells of water and washing your hands in the perfect way between each course. And they got so caught up in tradition that they got away from the Word of God. And they came with accusations from tradition and not from the Word of God. And you know, we need to be careful that doesn't happen to us today as a church. That we get so caught up in, in man-made traditions that we get away from the Word of God. So often what's happening is that people are saying, well, we, we've always done it that way, or the world does it that way. And the only example that we should have for the church today is the book of Acts. Amen? And not what the world says, not what tradition says, but what does God say? Well, the Pharisees came and the Lord rebuked them and He called them hypocrites. Now, can you imagine? These guys are clothed in their black robes and they think they're the most holy guys alive. And they come walking in and the Lord says, you bunch of hypocrites. And now, basically what He said was, you know, you have the outward appearance of holiness, but inwardly, you guys are bad news. And He rebuked them and they went away seething. Now, in the midst of that, of these guys of looking at the rituals, here came two Gentiles... And one of them was a woman whose son was, or daughter, excuse me, was demon-possessed. We know from the text it was a little girl. It means she was very young. Can you imagine those of you who are parents if you had a little girl who was demon-possessed? Now, she had several things going against her. She was a Gentile. And again, the Gentiles didn't feel like they could approach the throne of God. The, Jesus himself even said, I came for the Jew first, 
but also for the Gentile. She was a woman in a day when women were not looked upon. They couldn't go into the inner court in the Jewish synagogue. She was also a woman who seemed to have the devil against her because her daughter was demon-possessed. She was a woman who, when she came to Christ, did not respond to her initially as she cried out to him over and over and over. Her, his own disciples were against her as he said, Turn her away. Let's get her out of here. But I love what this woman did. Unlike the Pharisees who were so self-righteous, she threw herself at the Lord's feet. She worshipped Him and she said, Lord, help me. That's one of the greatest prayers in the whole Bible. Lord, help me. That's a good prayer. Amen? And she didn't come with pretense. She just said, Lord, I need you desperately. And we know what happened. We know the Lord healed her daughter. We also see, a de- lastly, in the last part of last week, we saw a deaf man who had a speech impediment come before God. He was brought by his friends. I told you last week, it's an example of how we need to be bringing others to Jesus Christ. We need to be Andrew and Philip. We need to be those who look at those who aren't saved and have a burden and a heart for them. Last night, I went to my 20-year high school reunion. There was a part of me that loved being there because I got to share my faith with a lot of people. There was also a part of me that felt like I needed to repent when I left because it was so much drunkenness and it was just a vile place to be but you know what we need to be salt and light and God's called us to be that and these men brought the deaf and dumb man and we know the story that Jesus reached in and touched his ear and then he touched his mouth and then he healed him and I love that the Lord touches us when he brings a healing touch amen he desires to touch us so tonight we're going to move on from there and we're going to take a look at, at as the Lord continues to minister And last week he broke down the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles he said you know what what It's not what a man eats that takes him from the outside that defiles him, but what's in his heart that defiles him. And the Jews thought, you know, you've got to keep the rituals, you've got to eat a certain way, or you're going to be defiled. It's ritual, it's tradition. And the Lord said, no, it's a heart issue. So let's pick up in in chapter 8, verse 1, and we're going to look again at another miracle that Jesus does, and Lord willing, we'll get through verse 21 tonight. Verse 1, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples to Him, and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, more than likely, because Jesus had just performed these great miracles, this multitude was following him. And this multitude, it says there in verse 2, had traveled with him for three days with nothing to eat. Now, the scary part to me in the church today is that, you know, we give God an hour and a half a week, and sometimes we feel like that's too much. You know, Lord, you're cutting into my NFL football time, or, you know, I got brunch I got to go to, and we got so many other things that are so important to us, but people who are truly seeking God can't get enough of Him. You know, I've been places where, man, I just can't hang out with God enough. I've been, some of you have probably experienced it where you go on a, a retreat and, and, and work's not a distraction and other things, and you say, man, I just want to sit here at your feet and worship you forever. Well, these people have been following Jesus for three days with no food. You know, the Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. These people understood that. And the Lord looked out and He saw them and He had compassion on them. Repeatedly in the Bible, you see Jesus having compassion. They continue with Him three days, reflecting their eagerness to hear Jesus teach and to experience His healing touch and truly desiring the Word of God. And whatever food they may have brought with them initially is now long gone. Now, I want to say that He's going to now feed them. And I want, you to, I want to make this real clear. This is not the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. It's a totally separate incident. In Mark 6, he was feeding the Jews, a, a group that was predominantly Jewish. This is a group that is predominantly Gentile. It's not by chance that that happens in the Word of God. Jesus came for the Jew and the Gentile alike. Amen? 
And he's making it very clear to his apostles, to everybody that's following him, as he's ministering to this large crowd of Gentiles. Verse 3. If I send them away hungry they will, to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some have come from afar. And you know what I see in this? There's a lot we could see. But the thing that I see is Jesus knows the details about every single person that he's ministering to. He said, if I send them away, if some have come from afar off, how does he know that? He knows that because he's God. Amen? And he knows when he's ministering to you and he's ministering to me exactly where I am, exactly what's going on in my life. He loves me. He cares. He's a God of detail. Verse 4. Then his disciples answered and said, How can one satisfy these people with the bread here in the wilderness? Now wait a minute. What happened in Mark chapter 6? Wasn't there a crowd even bigger than this one? And didn't the Lord feed them? And here they are, they forgot what the Lord had done in just a matter of probably days. A very short amount of time has gone by, and they're saying, what are we going to do? Having witnessed the incredible faith of the, of the Canaanite woman who fell at Jesus' feet, or the deaf man, having seen them just fall down and say, Lord, help me, Jesus and his disciples question the bread of life and ask him, where are we going to get bread to feed these people? It blows me away. What are we going to do, Lord? They don't get it. They've forgotten what the Lord has done. And you know, sometimes we look at people like that and we say, man, what a bunch of knuckleheads. You ever read the Bible and say, what a bunch of knuckleheads? How many have ever done that? You read the Old Testament and they set up a bunch of idols and then God brought condemnation and they repented and then they started serving the Lord again and God blessed them and then before long they turned back and started serving idols again. You ever read that in the Old Testament? And you go idiots, right? And then they do it, and then they fall in hard times, and there's famine in the land, they repent, and then God brings restoration, they start serving God, and then they start serving idols again. But you know what? I do the same thing. There are times in my life where I get my eyes off of God, and I go out and I do things that I've done before that I know are wrong. There are times in my life when I forget God's greatness, when I forget His faithfulness. The title of the message tonight is The Faithfulness of God and the Hardness of Men's Hearts. And the reason is God is faithful, though men's hearts may be hard. They're saying, what are we going to do, Lord? And he asked them and said, how many loaves do you have? Verse 5, and they said, seven. Now, Jesus didn't rebuke them, though he could have, but instead he had them identify just how inadequate their own supply was. He said, now you look around and see what you've got. What, What kind of answers do you have to your struggles? What kind of answers do you have? And they turn around and say, we've got seven loaves. And the Lord again doesn't rebuke them, but again, He's going to bring order to the situation. Verse 6, So He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And He took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and broke them and gave them to His disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. If you've ever wondered where we get the tradition, well, it shouldn't be a tradition, but the, the attitude and the heart of thanking God before we eat, every time you see the Lord at a supper, He always thanks God. Every time. Every time. Look in the Bible. Every time. He thanks the Father. He's God Himself, but He thanks the Father for the provision. And it says there, so what does He do? He has the multitude sit down. He gives thanks to the Father for the provision. And He breaks the food in His hands. And what's awesome to me is we're going to see multiplication or creation in the hands of the Creator one more time. How many of you know that Jesus Christ is the Creator? Amen? Nobody created anything ever other than Him. Did you know that? No man can create anything. Man can take what God created and assemble it to make something else, but man can create nothing. Only God can create. And here's the Lord creating 
From nothing, something, because He's God. He's multiplying seven loaves to feed 4,000 people. Our God is great. His provision is perfect. We can trust in Him. When When the circumstances seem overwhelming, just remember that God is in control. Where it says broke them, it's in the aorist tense, which means there's an emphasis upon it. And He gave it out to them, and it's in an imperfect tense, which means it was a continuing action. He just kept giving them the food and giving them the food and giving them the food and giving them the food. Those who come to Christ and are hungry will never go away hungry. Amen? You'll always walk away from Him full. But if you go to the world, you're always going to leave disappointed. And once again, that miracle happens in the hands of the Creator. Verse 7. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, there He is again with the food. He blessed them. He said to set them also before them. So He takes again the fish and does a miraculous work with them as well. Verse 8. So they ate and were filled. Again, when you come to Christ, you will never leave hungry. They ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were 4,000, and He sent them away. Now, look at verse 9 also. It says, Now those who had eaten were 4,000, and He sent them away. Seven large baskets of of fragments were left over. Now, the baskets in Mark chapter 6 were little baskets like you'd put a lunch in. There were 12 of them. These baskets, it's the same word that you see in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, where Saul was lowered down over the side of the wall as he escaped, and they're man-sized baskets. So there are seven baskets full of fragments that were left over after the Lord fed them. So these two separate feedings, both to these two different groups, are a picture of Christ's design to feed both the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, in closing, you might think, how do they do this? How can the apostles have been so thick? How could they have not understood that Jesus Christ is God? But again, how many times do we forget the Lord's mercy, His faithfulness, and His grace? And we need to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ, that took that bread and fed 4,000 people, is the same one that can take our bank account when it's empty and take care of our bills. Amen? He's the same God that will provide for us in sickness. He's that same God who's always in control. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. All we need to do is trust Him, fall at His feet. Now the apostles watch this, and they see the miracle happening one more time. But guess what? They're still going to be hard-hearted. These are the, the apostles, by the way. They're not the B-apostles, right? They're the apostles, and they're still not getting it. These are the ones that walk with Jesus. And as you watch this, watch how they remain thick. But first, before we see them, let's take a look at the Pharisees. Verse 10. Immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Okay? Now, I looked that up, and it's the only time that this place is talked about in the New Testament. And I looked, and I found out that the background on this city is that people didn't think that it existed. And again, I love how archaeologists think they know something when God knows better. Amen? But guess what? Recently in archaeological digs, guess what they found? They found a port and a harbor right between the cities of Capernaum and Magdala. And guess what? When you look in the Word of God, that's exactly where it says it is. So they found it, but we already knew it was there because the Bible said so. Amen? God's Word says it. That settles it for me. Now let's take a look, though, at the Pharisees and how they respond. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with Him. Now remember what I told you. How did the self-righteous Pharisees approach Jesus Christ? They're approaching Him again. Remember, they've just been rebuked. No doubt they're seething. No doubt they're upset because He had done the miraculous and He had called them hypocrites. And now they show up again looking for, for Jesus Christ. They find out where He is and they show up repenting. No, they don't. It says, look what it says in verse 11. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with Him. You know what? If you're disputing with God, you're wrong. Amen? 
If you're disputing with God, you're wrong every single time. And the Pharisees come up, and, they're, and again, the cleanliness thing, and, and oh man, you didn't keep the rules, and you, you didn't keep the things, and, and they come out trying to find a way to stumble, the, to stumble Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. Let me read back to you in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. And this is what it says about the Pharisees. So he said to them, Are you without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles him. From within, out of the heart of a man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. That's what the Lord had said to to the Pharisees. And they come back now because they felt like if you ate something the wrong way, you would defile yourself. And the Lord said, that's not it at all. And so the Lord has called them hypocrites. And they come to Him one more time. And this time, when you look in the companion passage of Matthew 16, you see that they came with the Sadducees, and you're also going to see that they came with the Herodians. And what blows me away about this is these three groups could not stand each other. The only thing they were united on is in their hatred toward Jesus Christ. That's it. And why did they hate him? Because he came to die for him. Because he loved them. Because he told them that they needed to be born again. Let's take a look here as it says, Now the Pharisees, they come to him and they dispute with Jesus and they want to test him. They didn't come in humility. They didn't come in sincerity, truly desiring to learn of God. They came with a self-righteous piety and pride, desiring to discredit Jesus Christ himself. They tested Jesus and look what they said they wanted. Verse 11. They disputed with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. They said, you know what? Show us a sign. We want to see a sign from heaven. And some of the signs from heaven, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you call fire down from heaven like Elijah did? You know, if you're really the Messiah, then why don't you make the sun stand still like Joshua did? If you're really the Messiah, why don't you bring bread down from heaven like Moses did? And miracles had been done But they didn't believe in it. Every time that Jesus did a miracle, they said Satan was behind it. So they come seeking one more miracle. And you know what? They're coming demanding their own will, not seeking God's will. You know, a lot of times when we pray, we need to be careful. Prayer should be an act of love. Amen? You know what? I am married to my wife, and I love my wife, and I love talking to my wife. What kind of relationship would I have with my wife if I never, ever spoke to her? Or if I only spoke to her when she made me a meal and she threw it down in front of me and I said, thanks, babe. That's the sum total of our conversation. I wouldn't be married very long, right? Some of us, our prayer life consists of, thanks God for the food. It's no different. And you know what? We're married to Him. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. And you know what? Out of that love relationship with Him, it shouldn't be, prayer should not be a have to, but a get to. Amen? The Bible says we should pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. I tell people that I start my day with prayer and I put God on speakerphone, because I never hang up. I'm talking with Him when I'm driving. I'm talking with Him when I go out to see customers. I'm talking with Him everywhere all the time. And you know what? He hears me when I'm driving. Amen? And He desires that we have that intimate relationship with Him. And they're saying, you know, we want a sign, and they're demanding their will. And sometimes in our own prayer life, we come to God demanding our will. Remember that prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. Amen? We don't pray and say, Lord, here's what you need to do. By the way, God doesn't need my input. Amen? 
Oh, Dave, thanks. I hadn't thought of that. That's exactly what I'll do. I mean, God's not waiting for me to give him instruction or marching orders. And you know what? The Pharisees come up with their black robes, self-righteous attitude, and demanding that he do something. And you know what? They're lucky I'm not God because I'd have just turned them all into toast. You know what I mean? Okay, you want me to do something? Here's a, here's a sign. <laughs> You're all toast, right? But a bunch of piles of ashes. But you know what? Out of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, He doesn't do that. But you know what He does do? Look, let's take a look. But again, by asking for a sign, the religious leaders have basically said, you know, all these miracles you've done up to now, Jesus, those don't count. You know how you heal the sick, the lame, the lepers? Well, we're not going to ignore that. Or the fact that you calmed the sea. You said, peace be still. That should get your attention, amen? But oh, they're going to dismiss that one. What about feeding the hungry, as you did both the 5,000 and the 4,000? What about raising people from the dead? I think that qualifies as a miracle. What do you think, amen? You know, Jeru's daughter, Lazarus, come forth. Again, if he said, come forth, every dead person would have got up because he's triumphed over sin and death. What about when he was baptized? Do you think that was a miracle? When the sky opened up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and the voice came down from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I think I would figure out who Jesus was right about then. Amen? But again, give us another sign. And people are the same way today. Give me another miracle. And you know what? The Bible says, if people will not believe the Word, they're not going to believe it. millions of miracles. There's no, there's no number of miracles that will change a man's heart if they will dismiss the Word of God. And so these, they come again seeking this miracle. Show us a sign from heaven. Again, the hardened hearts of the Pharisees. And when Jesus heard their request, look what He does. He sighed deeply in His spirit. Remember last week we saw the Lord groaning over the effects of sin on the life of the deaf man. Remember that? It says He groaned deeply within Himself. You know, the Lord's heart breaks over the effects of sin. Did you know that? The Lord's heart breaks. It grieves Him. It grieved him enough that he sent his son to bridge the gap. And you know what? He sighed deeply and being grieved from the hardness of their hearts. How tragic that the religious leaders of God's chosen people should be so hard-hearted and so spiritually blind. Their desire for a sign from heaven was but another evidence of their unbelief. Do you know that faith never seeks a sign? Did you know that? True faith doesn't need a sign. Amen? You don't need a sign. You know why? True faith takes God at His Word and is satisfied with the inward witness of the Holy Spirit confirming God's Word in our heart. Amen? You know, it blows me away when people say, well, you know, it's just written in the Bible, that's all. Well, it's only in the Bible. It's only in the Bible? You mean only the Creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God Himself spoke it to us? Is that all? Oh, okay. You know, oh, well, it's only in that one part of the Bible. You know what? If it's in one part of the Bible, that's plenty. Amen? If God says it one time, that's plenty. If He says it twice, you better really pay attention. Amen? And so what happens is, these guys come and He sighs and He grows deeply in His heart. And He says, why did this, was, does this generation seek a sign? Uh, surely I say to you, no sh- sign shall be given to this generation. We don't need any new revelations. God's Word is sufficient. He's done more than enough to prove to us that He is God. Amen? You know what? He doesn't need to do anything else. There's no other, nothing else God needs to do. And you know what? If I spent the rest of my life thanking Him and serving Him, I can't repay Him one millionth of what He's already done, let alone what He's going to continue to do in my life. And these guys come seeking more. Matthew writing to the Jews says, here it says, no sign. And Matthew says, except the sign of Jonah. 
Now, the reason that Matthew wrote that down is because, again, that's the gospel written to the Jews. They have a lot of Old Testament stuff written in there, and they would know that Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of a well. So what's the sign of Jonah? Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He said, that's the sign I'm going to give this generation. And you know what? That's the ultimate sign that proves that Jesus Christ is God. Do you know that nobody else has ever risen from the dead but Jesus Christ? You might say, wait a minute, he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's right, but Lazarus died again, didn't he? Right? Didn't Jairus' daughter die again? Jesus Christ is a risen, living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else can do that because He's the Creator. Nobody but Him. And you know what? People want to water down the Gospel. People want to say, well, maybe there's many paths. Well, maybe Christianity is the way for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. There's no way to get to heaven except through Him. And the Pharisees came and were trying to trip up the Creator of the universe. How stupid can you be? Hardened hearts had brought them to that place. They were missing out on the Messiah who was standing right before them. This generation that so greedily swallows the traditions of the elders, that by the study of the Old Testament could have understand, understood He was the Messiah, that was given sign after sign of Christ's compassion, His power over sickness and sin and death, through His healing of those who humbly sought Him, they would remain hardened in their hearts even to the point of chest testing Jesus when He hung on the cross. Do you remember what they said to Him? If you're really God, then come on down off that cross and prove it to me. Their hearts were so hard. And you know what? The Lord's heart breaks at the hardened hearts of men. Taunting the Savior as He endured, as He suffered, as He was paying the price for them. Their willingness to accept Jesus as Savior was based upon their demands being met. You know, I've heard it said that Ted Turner is not a Christian today because, this is his explanation, he had a, someone in his family who was sick. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance to prove you're really God. You heal her. And the, and the person in his family didn't get healed. So now he's an atheist, says there is no God. You know what? We cannot put God on demands. Amen? God is always God. He's always perfect. He's always right. He's always righteous. He's always holy. Everything He does is perfect. He never makes mistakes. He doesn't need to be reminded by men. He doesn't need to heed to our demands. Let me ask you a question. Do you come to the Lord making demands when you pray? Or do you come to the Lord with a humble, broken, and hungry heart saying, Lord, help me like the Canaanite woman? Which is it? Because one, there's one attitude and action that the Lord will receive, and there's one that God will always turn away. Verse 13. And the Lord says, it says here, And He left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Not only did Jesus refuse their demands, but much like Satan's temptation in Matthew 4, remember what He said to them? You know, if you're really God, then just cast yourself off this pinnacle and the angels will catch you. If you're really God, turn the stones into bread. If you're really God, bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything that you see. And he, just the same way that he turned away from Satan is the same way he turns away from these hard-hearted men. And you know what? Every single person on this planet has an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. It's only those who harden their hearts toward Him and reject Him that, do not, that will not know Him as Lord and Savior. So God gives grace to the humble, and He resists the proud, and He resists these proud men. And Jesus will never force Himself on anybody. He left them there with their hard hearts. Verse 14, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Now we're going to see Jesus warn His disciples, and we're going to see that their hearts are still hard. You know, sometimes we, times we think of Peter, and we think of Andrew, and we think of John, and we think these guys were perfect. Wrong answer. These guys were knuckleheads big time, especially before Pentecost. Before the Holy Spirit came to live inside of these guys, they were always messing up. 
The Lord was always having to fix Peter's mistakes, right? But you know what? God used them mightily after Pentecost. The rapid departure from this hard-hearted people, they had left in a, in a hurry. And you know what? When they left, they, they realized that their supplies were limited. It may have been because they were in a hurry, they didn't have the supplies that they felt that they needed. One loaf would never feed 13 men. That's just reality. Okay? So they, they come before the Lord and they, they realize we've got one loaf of bread. Now the disciples have forgotten to take bread. They did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then they charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the Harley Davidson. So Jesus warns his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, watch what kind... Now, remember I told, I've said before, a warning to you and to me. The time that we struggle most with God is when we are looking at the world through physical eyes. When we start looking at our circumstances and the things going on around us, we start looking at the storm instead of looking at the, at the Messiah in the boat who's sleeping in at peace. It's those times that we miss God completely. And guess what happens? He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So how are they going to respond? They could have said, well, Lord, the leaven of the Pharisees, what do you mean? Now, leaven is a reference to yeast, which causes flour to rise. Once you put leaven in something, you can't stop it. Leaven, though not always, is, is usually a reference to evil in the Bible. In the Bible, leaven is consistently a symbol of evil. Each Passover, the Jews had to remove all the leaven out of their houses. Leaven was not allowed with offerings. Evil like leaven is small and hidden, but it spreads and soon affects the whole. In the Bible, leaven is a picture of false doctrine. It's a picture of unjudged sin in the church. It's a picture of hypocrisy. The leaven of the Pharisees included both their false teaching and their hypocritical behavior. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod was, Herod Antipas, the king, was an extremely immoral man. So the, the warning was, beware of false teaching, hypocritical behavior, and immoral and corrupt conduct. But again, interesting to me that these self-righteous and morally bankrupt guys would come together to go against Jesus Christ. But look how they respond. Look at verse 16. And they reason among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. What? He says, beware of false teachers, beware of hypocrisy, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, we don't have any bread. That's why he's, a, he's asking us this question, because we have no bread. And it's funny, because you go back and you look at it, and it's in a, written in a tense, that they had this discussion for a long time, and, and eventually they started blaming each other. Peter, you're supposed to bring the bread this time. It was your turn to bring the bread. No, man, Andrew, you're supposed to bring the bread. No, man, no, I, hey, I was busy over here talking to people. I, I had the Lord's coat. I was doing something. Else. You're supposed to. And these guys are arguing. And the Lord's trying to teach them a spiritual truth, but they're looking at it from a physical point of view, and they're completely and totally missing God. It appears the disciples were almost as spiritually blind as the Pharisees as they missed the Lord's meeting completely. I thought you were supposed to bring the bread. Reveres their focus and preoccupation was on the temporal and the physical rather than gaining spiritual insight and wisdom from the Lord's instruction. They were arguing and disputing. Now we too must learn several important things from the things that the Lord shared with them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. False doctrine. What is false doctrine? Be attentive. False doctrine is false teaching. Okay? Doctrine is truth. Now, the Bible says, Study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you know if somebody's teaching you a lie? You've got to know the truth. You know, when people are hired at banks, I've heard this said to be true, and I believe it's still true, when people are hired at banks, they're going to be handling a lot of money, they don't bring out counterfeit dollars and have them look at all the counterfeit dollars. Oh, that's kind of, What they do is they have them study real money. They touch it, they smell it, they feel it. They get to know real money so well that when someone puts a counterfeit in their hand, they oh, that's not real. We need to study the real thing so well and know it so mo- to, in our hearts so deeply that when someone brings us a lie, we say, that's a lie. That's not true. That's not in the Word of God. Beware of the leaven of false teaching. Oh, only a small deviation from the Word of God may get into an individual or a church, and before long, it will grow and infect everything in that church. You know, it's been said, if you start in San Francisco and you're headed toward Hawaii and you, you make your target one degree off of what it should be, you're going to miss Hawaii by 400 miles. And the same is true with the Word of God. We cannot compromise any of it. Amen? We cannot say, oh, well, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. We live in a different world today. Let me tell you something. God knew what the world was going to be like today. Amen? He's not surprised. We start compromising and say, it's okay to have homosexual pastors. You know, it's okay to have sex before marriage. Well, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. Well, you know what? Maybe the whole of Scripture is not inerrant. Maybe it is full of some mistakes. Maybe, you know, maybe this is true. Maybe that's true. That's a lie. That's false doctrine. It will infect the church. And I'll tell you what. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as for us and the people of Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, we will never, ever, ever compromise the Word of God. Amen? No way. God said it. That settles it. I don't need anybody's opinion. I want to know what God says. If we don't have an answer, read the book. Don't wait for the movie, right? Let's crack this thing open. Let's see what God has to say. And you know what happened was, because he said, beware of the false doctrine. Beware of hypocrisy. Beware of wearing a mask and pretending to be a Christian on the outside when the inside is rotten to the core. Beware of walking around and putting on airs so that men will think you're wonderful when you're really struggling in your own relationship with God. We need to come to a place The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. We need to walk daily in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It says beware of the leaven of Herod. That's immoral and corrupt conduct. The Bible says what fellowship does light have with darkness? You know what? And again, God is a God of grace and love and mercy. But I believe this is in the text, so I'm going to say it. If you're going out and hanging out with the world, then you need to repent. Why? Because the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals, and that means you too. Amen? Now, we're called to be salt and light, but last night when I was at that, my 20-year reunion, I'll tell you what, I couldn't get out of there quick. I mean, I, I shared my faith, I had a chance to share with people, but I'll tell you what, I don't want to do that again. Because everybody was drunk, and everybody was cussing, and, everybody, and again, I want to minister to them. I want to show them the love of God, but that's not where I want to fellowship and hang out. Amen? That's not the kind of environment I want to live in. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That is the leaven of Herod. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But yeah, but, but, he's, but he's cute. He's got a good job. Doesn't matter. But she's a babe. You know, I'll bring her to church. No missionary dating either. Amen? No missionary dating. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Bad company grubs good morals. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It says in the book of Romans, certainly not. Never. You know what, Lord, beware of the light. And you know what, we can't do it without Him. Do you understand that? It's not us trying to be good enough so God will love us. It's us dying to self, being filled with the Spirit of the living God, and letting Him live through us. Amen? 
It's when we get in the way that we struggle with these things. Beware of the physical focus on the temporal things of this world. The Bible says in Colossians 3.2, Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, a long time ago, I, I think I've shared this with you before, I had kids in the youth group write down what was the most important thing in their life. I had them write down ten things. Then I had them cross out five. And boy, they went through pain. Oh, oh. Oh, I gotta get rid of Nintendo and my bike, you know. And they're dead lining stuff out. And I said, okay, get rid of three more. Oh, man. All right. And they're down to two. I said, well, get rid of one more. Man, kids were sweating. And oh, I don't know. And they've got rid of one more. And I said, if it says anything on there other than Jesus Christ, you're involved in idol worship. Because Jesus Christ needs to be first, fifth, fiftieth, one hundredth, one millionth, and every number on the list in your life. Amen? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what it's all about. You know what? People say, man, Pastor Dave, dial it down. You're getting too radical. You know what? I won't get to heaven and God say, you were too radical. Amen? He won't say, you should have dialed it down a little bit, man. You should have just toned it down and, and just slept walk through Christianity. I think the church has been asleep way too stinking long and it's time for us to wake up. Verse 17. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason? So the reasoning of, Oh, you're supposed to bring the bread. He said, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Now he's going to ask them six questions. Why do you reason because you have no bread? The fact that they brought no bread was irrelevant. That wasn't what he was talking about. Why are you even concerned about physical bread? He's telling, telling them. The bread of life is in the boat. You shouldn't be worried about having bread. Amen? Now look what it says. Next question. Question number two. Do you not yet perceive nor understand. He's saying, don't you get it? Don't you guys understand? How long have you been walking with me? The Lord was revealing to them great spiritual truth, and yet they missed it because they focused on the physical. I believe God is daily revealing His will will and deeper, deeper spiritual truth to us through His Word and the work of the Holy Spirit, but we miss it when we get our eyes on the mundane things of the world. He'll keep missing it as we are so... Uh, heavily focused on the things that this world has to offer. Third question he says to them, is your heart still hardened? Now who's he talking to? The Pharisees? He's talking to the apostles. And he says to them, is your heart still hardened? These are the ones that have been walking with him. These are the ones that should have known the truth. And he asked them, is your heart hardened? Those in the boat were susceptible to the same things as those out of the boat. And what I mean by that is, those of us who are in the church are susceptible to the same things that people that are out of the church are too. We can harden our hearts, you guys. We can come to the point where we're so concerned with the mundane things of this world that we forget about God. We can get out of fellowship with Him. We can stop spending time in His Word. We can start seeking first our career. We can start seeking first our relationship. We can start seeking first our children. We can start seeking first anything else. But the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. We need to fall in love with Jesus Christ. They had witnessed Jesus minister to the 5,000. He made them get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. A great wind came up against Him. They were straining and rowing and had no progress. Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and it says He would have passed them by. Do you remember that story from a couple weeks ago? They're, they're out there. They're, the Lord put them in the boat. They're going across. The waves and the wind comes up, and they're battling, and they're making no progress. And it says the Lord walked up to them, and it says He would have passed them by. Why? 
Because they were so focused on the storm that Jesus was standing right there and they didn't see him. You know, some of you guys are going through difficulties in life. There's people in this room that have cancer. There's people in this room that have financial difficulties. There's people in this room that are having struggles in their marriage. There's people in this room that are going through some very difficult times. But I want you to know that the Lord's there. And don't get so focused on the storm that you miss Jesus Christ in the midst of it. Because He loves you and He's going to meet you there and you're going to grow in the midst of it if you'll just keep your eyes on Him. So Jesus came to them and they missed Him. And they, though He may have walked Him by, they weren't looking for the Lord. It says in, Matthew, in Mark 6.52, For they did not understand because their hearts were hardened. These guys were the apostles and their hearts were hardened. Verse 18, we're almost done. Having eyes do you not, having eyes, do you not see. And having ears, do you not hear? The Lord goes back and He quotes Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 12, 2, which says, The Son of Man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see but does not see, and ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. In Mark 4, 11, Jesus said that the spiritual blindness and deafness would be true of the crowd, of the world. The world is spiritually blind. The world is spiritually deaf. You know, when the world acts like the world, we should not be surprised. Amen? Some guy cuts you off on the freeway and flips you off. Guess what? He's acting according to his nature. Pray for him. Amen? Somebody mistreats you at work. They're acting according to their nature if they don't know Christ. But these things should not be so among those who are born again. We are new creations in Christ, and these things ought not to be so. These disciples were walking in the presence of the glory of God, but they failed to see what He was doing and to hear what He was saying. Verse uh, The last one, last question, in verse 18. He says, and do you not remember? I want to take a moment on this. I think this is a key question in revealing why these guys were struggling with hardened hearts. They had forgotten all that God had done for them. You know what? I think it's good sometimes to sit back and realize all that God has done for you. Amen? I think that sometimes... Don't you love new Christians? Don't you love them? You know why? Because they're excited. Oh, yeah, he's a new Christian. That'll wear off, right? I mean, sometimes you think that, right? Heaven forbid. But we need to go back and remember where we've come from. Remember what God had done for us. In the Old Testament, when God spoke to His people or performed a miracle, they would build an altar to the Lord as a place of remembrance and a place of worship. And you know what? We need to remember. So I wrote down a few things that the Lord has done for us, and I'll get that in just a second. So often I believe we struggle because of trials and difficulties, and we forget what God has already done. So look at the Lord as He's going to remind them, then I'm going to remind you of a few things. Verse 19, He says, Do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full did they take up? And they said 12. Did they remember the miracle? Of course they did. They said there were 12 baskets left. They remembered the miracle. He asked them again, When I... Fed this, when I took seven and fed the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did they take up? And they said seven. So they had heard and seen the miracles, but they had forgotten the significance behind them. I also think this is interesting here, just a quick side note. There were 12 baskets left over when he fed the 5,000. Number of 12, 12 tribes of Israel. He had 12 apostles. 12 is a number of a governing body in the Bible. Number seven is the number of completeness. Guess what? 
We are made complete in Him. The apostles are made complete in Him. Amen? The 12 tribes of Israel could be made complete in Jesus Christ. There's never anything in the Bible by chance. It's all in there for a reason. All they needed to do and everything they needed to have was found in Him. So He reminds them of the fact of the story, but they still didn't understand the significance behind the fact. So let me write, I wrote these down off the top of my head this afternoon. And you know what? I could have written 12 pages, but I just wrote two. Okay? I'm going to write down, I'm, these are things that Jesus Christ has done for you, and you need to remember it. All right? And I hope I can get through this. He created us in, the image, in His image to have fellowship with Him. When we were in rebellion and broke that fellowship with Him, He sent His Son to suffer, be mocked, beaten, scourged, and crucified to restore us to Him. He died that we might have eternal life. He adopted us into His family. He loves us unconditionally. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He has forgiven you for all your sins, past, present, and future. He rose from the dead on the third day, fulfilling prophecy and proving Himself to be God. He has given you a down payment on eternity in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of your life. God dwells within you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has given given us the word of God as his love letter to us to guide, direct, and instruct us in every aspect of life. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. Your name's in there, and you're going to spend eternity in heaven. He's preparing a place for you in heaven right now. He is, sealed, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where He prays for you without ceasing. He came that you might have life, and life more abundantly. He is the vine, and you are the branches. He is the shepherd, and you are His sheep. You are His inheritance. No one can ever snatch you out of His hand. When you hurt, He hurts. You are His child. He has given you spiritual gifts that you might be salt and light to a lost and dying world. He is coming soon to redeem you unto himself. You will be with him forever and ever and ever in heaven where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, and no more suffering. We will worship him in his presence for all eternity. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? That's who you are in Christ. And we need to remember those things. And I could have written ten more pages if I had had time. Those are off the top of my head as fast as I could write. That's what God's done for us. And we walk around playing, woe is me, oh man. And you know what? We have nothing to be depressed about. Fear, anxiety, worry, and depression are all the opposite of faith. If this is who we are in Christ, we are truly the most rich of all people. Amen? There's nothing better than all these things that God has done for us. Help us, Lord, to live every moment for you until you come. Help us not to faint in the face of adversity, but to remember who you are and what you've done for us. Verse 21 in closing, look what it says. And he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? In spite of all I've done and shown you, how is it you still don't understand? Matthew 16 and uh, 21, uh, or 11, excuse me, the companion text, it says they understood that now he was telling them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, not bread. In closing, here's what I'm going to close with. Worship team, you guys have another song? Come on up. In closing, I wrote down four things. May we not seek signs, but live by faith in His Word. Amen? May we not be looking for the miraculous. Do you know there are whole churches that have miracle crusades? You know what we need? We need Word of God crusades. Amen? We need to teach God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Not by a bunch of miracles. You know what? God performs miracles today. Amen? But He performs miracles that He might be glorified. We don't seek the gift, but the giver of the gift. May we trust Jesus to meet our needs no matter how overwhelming they may seem. May we avoid the false doctrine and traditions of men, trusting only in the truth of God's Word. I don't care how many men vote on it and what they think. If it's not in the Bible, to heck with it. Amen? 
God said it, that settles it. Men's opinions mean nothing. May we allow the Lord to work in and through us for His glory alone. You guys, don't forget how precious you are to God. Don't forget that, you know, the Bible says that we are His treasured possession. We think about what we treasure. You know what God treasures? You. You're what He treasures. You're the most valuable and important thing in the world, and He proved it, and that He came and suffered and died that you might have eternal life. Isn't our God good? Amen. Amen. And shouldn't we be excited about our God? And shouldn't we be wanting to tell everybody and let them know He's a great, a wonderful, and awesome God. He loves you and He loves me, and we shouldn't be ashamed of Him. Amen? And we should not fall into the trap of the Pharisees looking at the physical. Let's fall at our feet feet and cry out, Lord, help me. That's a great place to be. Let's pray, and we're going to close in a worship song. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You, Lord, just for all Your bountiful gifts. I couldn't even begin to write them all down. Lord, it says that the, the great hymn, Lord, that if every single person on this planet was someone who wrote for a living, and we wrote from now until the end of time, we could not write down your greatness and all the great things you've done for us. Lord, you're such an awesome God. And Lord, I just pray, Father, we'd walk in the fullness of your Spirit, that we would be led by you. That, Father God, we would serve you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, when the trials come, that we'd be looking for you. And Father, we thank you. I continue to lift up Santa Cruz County. I pray, Father God, for this place that means Holy Cross, that it truly would come again to be a place where you're honored and glorified. And Lord, begin with the people in this room. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We lift up and honor your name. You are truly an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.